HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Julia Coney. We'll talk to Julia about black wine professionals and much, much more. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Houston and D.C.-based Julia Coney is a wine writer, wine educator, speaker, consultant, and activist. Her wine writings also address the intersection of race and wine. Her work has been featured in prominent wine and mainstream publications. Born out of necessity, Julia Coney founded Black Wine Professionals, a resource for wine industry employers and gatekeepers, professionals, and the food and beverage community. Their goal is to lift up the multifaceted black professionals in the world of wine. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Julia Coney. Thank you for having me. How are you? Good. So due to the COVID-19 virus, we're doing a remote, we're still doing a remote broadcast via Zancaster. And Julia, you are in D.C., right? I'm in D.C. All right. Um, and we were just talking offline how hot it is in New York and <laughs> D.C. today. So we're glad to be inside. Julia, I, I, want, I don't want to assume that certainly my... Uh, uh, listeners, you know, know everything about you. So before we get into a bunch of things, give us a little background on your journey in life and wine that got you into career in wine writing and, you know, currently the founding of black wine professionals. And I know, cause we'll get into how we know each <laughs> other too. Uh, you know, I know your wine writing, you know, didn't come until later. So, you know, bring us, give us a quick story. Don't take too long. Okay. Well, in my late 20s, I discovered wine. I was a legal assistant uh, living in Houston, mainly at that time. 
And uh, one of the attorneys I work with introduced me to wine through a barbecue pairing in Napa Valley Cabernet. And it's like 98 99 I started, you know, reading books and learning about wine and buying wine and traveling to wine regions. Fast forward, moved to D.C. in 2005, still a legal assistant. 2006, started a beauty blog and decided, you know, in 2010 to leave my day job to do that full time. And Wait, then, so you left legal assistant to concentrate on the beauty blog? On a beauty blog, and that's how I got into freelance. And okay. that was 2010. September will be 10 years freelancing for me. And uh, four and a half years ago, I decided I wanted to move into wine, and I started taking formal classes to actually be able to write about wine. I knew a lot about it, but I didn't you know, have any formal education and wanted that. And during that time is when I really discovered that the wine industry, in my opinion, had a lot of racial issues that really weren't being addressed. Right. Now what go back a second. What was like like what was the compelling reason you know to just drop everything and move forward on wine? I mean you you know that that person that turned you on to Napa wines, your interest and love with it, but something in you said just drop everything and do this. What yeah, was um, my mother was living at the time, and I, she was uh, here in D.C. visiting from the South, and she was like, you really are into the wine thing, I think, a lot more than the beauty thing, and ah. you may want to pursue that. And my husband had been telling me for probably two or three years before I made the leap that I should move into food and wine, and primarily wine. He said, I think you're good at it. You're happy when you're drinking wine and going to these dinners and traveling to these wine regions. I think you should explore that. And as a freelancer, I went, okay, I did my research. I started reading some wine blogs, particularly Dame Wine from Catherine Todd, um, really spoke to me. And then I said, okay, well, I know how to talk with PR agencies. And I did a whole entire new, wrote a press release that I was switching my um, endeavor to wine. And a lot of those people from the in, you know beauty industry had friends that worked in the wine industry. Right. And Yeah. Go ahead. And that's uh, how we are here. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I know that travel has become a big part, you know, of your life mm -hmm. as a wine writer. And, you know, you kind of wrap yourself in the wine writing around the travel. Um, since the COVID-19 pandemic hit, you know, none of us have been traveling. You know, without, we'll get into black wine professionals and all the issues, but what have you been doing the last three, four months? I have actually been very busy. I've been busy as if I was traveling. Okay. Uh, right when COVID hit, I was supposed to spend um, a couple of weeks in Houston, and I was like, I'll stay here in D.C. And um, I've been doing virtual wine tastings with a lot of uh, the followers or people who followed me on social media. And they were like, you drink a lot of champagne. Can you start, you know, doing these champagne tastings? And I reached out to my friends who are these amazing champagne producers. And they were like, we would love to come on. And then I partnered with a woman named Kelly Mitchell, who works in sales at Skernick to sell champagne and do all these virtual tastings. And so I bring like fun and education to virtual tastings. And I've actually did my last one last week um, to... And taking a break in August, like, you know, to regroup with the black wine right. professionals and get that. But yeah, I've been doing tasting sometime two or three times a week. I have still been writing. That is uh, one of those things as well. And just now I'm talking with a few um, consultants and consortiums in, in Italy about, you know, writing content for them so people can keep, you know, Italian wine on people's minds and, you know, French wine with everything going on. 
So the virtual stuff that you were doing, you weren't doing much of that before we sort of all got sequestered, right? Is that no. something you started doing it now, right? I started, I only started doing it because I did, um, you know, the movie Uncorked that came out on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the writer and director came on one of my chats. I I said, hey, I'm writing a story for Vine Pair. Can you guys come on my, we're going to do a watch party. And can you come on after? And he and D-Lynn came and they were supposed to stay 10 minutes. They stayed 30. And after it was over, he said, you should keep doing these wine chats. People want to know what you're drinking. They want to know who you're interested in, which winemakers you like, you know, and you should keep doing it. And so he actually encouraged me to keep doing it because I only was going to do the movie chat. That's a great story. You know, <laughs> and I, I've watched a bunch of them and, you know, they're terrific. Um, you know, you've been very uh, present on uh, social media lately, that included. And, you know, let's get into it. Um, you know, the pandemic doesn't seem to be going away. You know, mm-hmm. the social, this whole racial inequality and police injustice thing, you know, persists. Um, it seems like the protests have quieted down a bit, although I think there's a pretty big protest today. Yeah. I worry, and I want to talk to you about this, I worry that the uh, effort and message um, that has been put out there, you know, will either fade, be forgotten, or not be as strong as life, you know, tends to return to normal you know, after the anger dies. And there was some pretty good anger out there. But like I said, it's quieted down. I, I, I want to ask you, because I think you're tasked with this. You know, this is <laughs> one of your inner-driven tasks. How do we maintain, you know, any of this presence and momentum, you know, representing and promoting, you know, the BIPOC community, women um, in our industry? We can continue to do it. I mean... We, you know, part of the world opening back up helps our industry. Right. We can still post bottle shots and still be be in protest. We can still do that. I think one doesn't negate the other. It is actually saying, hey, I'm actually having fun with wine. I actually like wine. I like to sell wine. I like to drink wine. I like to write about wine. But I can also say we still have issues with the systemic racism in this country. At the same time, I'm showing a bottle shot. Right, where it's fair to say at a time we were only showing bottle shots Mm -hmm. and not discussing much else. Fair to say that? Fair to say that, yes. All right, so I I, I know diverse... Let me just say this. I think it's fair to say among people who are not BIPOC. To people who are BIPOC, this has always been the issue we've had our entire lives. So... We can, we've talked about it, we've posted about it, we've posted about Tamir Rice, we've posted about Sandra Bland, we've posted about Trayvon Martin, we've posted about Amara Mai, we've posted, still posted about Breonna Taylor. We're right. posting about those things. People who are not maybe BIPOC have just really, are now seeing like, hey, this really is a problem. Because the world had to go on pause for it to happen. Right. Pause because of everything that happened. Because of everything that happened, but we couldn't have—I don't think we could have had this movement in in February, right? Because or before. the world was the same, right? Uh, I, I agree. That's you know that was my my question was yes. I mean you know th- things are are really being put out there and being discussed. I just you know hope that you know the momentum keeps going. And and you you make a good point. You know, don't forget that and keep that 
you know, front and center, mm -hmm. but also, you know, the other stuff, just as important. We're in the industry, you know, uh, talk about wine and post about wine and all that stuff. Um, let me ask you this. You know, I know diversity is a word that's been thrown around. <laughs> it's kind of like a buzzword now, and I'm not making light of anything. It's almost like natural and natural wine. Yes. Um, but it, it is an important word. Why has... And I know this because, you know, I've been doing this for years and you've been doing it longer. What, why has the wine and hospitality industry been so slow to be, you know, inclusive? And more importantly, when it was in their face, how did they miss their chance? And, you know, are they making efforts to get that chance back? So I'm going to say, in my opinion, when you never had to deal with it is almost, I think part of them, part of the industry may think, think it, we could have swept this under the rug. Right. Right. That's part of it. But I am a person that believes in giving people grace. And I believe you can come imperfect instead of trying to be perfect. That's my belief. Right. And what is that, What have, does that mean? You can still do something now. Okay. You can still make a difference now. You can still say, hey, maybe we need to teach our staff when the world does open up or when now everybody's in, you know, just say in New York and D.C. where you're dining six feet apart in a table. We're here to sell wine. The color we need to worry about is green. How are we going to treat every guest the same? Right. So key initiatives, that's one of them. Mm -hmm. You know, where realize that it's never too late, you know, and let's let's be more inclusive, you know, educate. What else? You can hire people, hire people to talk. I mean, everybody's doing a program. You can say as a company, we'll read the same book and maybe bring in a person to has who understands how to explain this instead of you just reading the book. And then you have this issue now, like, well, I'm doing my part and I'm trying and I don't know what to say. You have to say something. That's the key. Right. You have to say something because we all make mistakes. Right. No one's going to get it right. Right. It's one of those. And if you have a board and, you know, that's what happens with the whole CMS. They had a board and the board wanted to say one thing. Then the other board didn't want to say and then they had to all come together. But at the end of the day, sometimes you have to go with your gut and you know what's right, whether or not the board agrees. So the CMS is the court of master sommeliers, yes. right? Yeah. And they are the uh, the body that uh, sanctions, you know, the sommelier uh, classes and mm -hmm. and titles and all of that. The big the big thing was as things were really heating up, they stood by idly and said nothing. Right now, what you alluded to is there were two parts of it. There was a board mm -hmm. and another part. I'm guessing the board didn't speak up and the membership wanted to. Yes, and that's and I get you know what they're trying what they were trying to do. And I understand they're like these governing bodies of nonprofits and different things. And it was just bad timing. Right now. Can they make up for us? Absolutely. There are people who, you know, are BIPOC who still want those pens. I'm not against the pen. How can I help you facilitate getting a pen? Do you need, that's one of the reasons I actually great segue started black wine professionals. Right. How can I help these black wine professionals get noticed? You and I know how this industry works, how buying trips work, how media trips work, how importing trips work. How do I get more BIPOC people who are actually doing those things on these trips? Well, that that's 
that's a big issue because I think the court of master sommeliers, I think it's sort of cultural that they don't think that way. And I think when you extend it, you know, into media trips, you know, certainly retail restaurants and all of that, um, because of what's going on, you see, you know, change in efforts being made, but is it really going to change? But we I mean, got to give it time, too. I okay. mean, we're not even giving it time. Right? Okay. We, we, we think about it. It's been, what, six, seven weeks? Right. Ch- change. We have to give also change and people learning and people are scrambling. And sometimes people, I have talked to a lot of people, they don't really know what to do. Right. So that's why the conversations have to keep talking. Talk, having the conversations and telling people what to do because a lot of people don't know also how to ask for help because in their mind they think you know like I thought I was doing something now you're telling me I'm not but how do I do it and who do I ask Right. it's all those things right and it goes back to if you have a BIPOC psalm in your restaurant and you're they're saying the customer is being racist because I've heard all these stories and I know this happens and you have a management who's like, oh, well, they were just drunk. Well, that still doesn't mean the customer's always right. That's crazy. Oh, yes. God. That, that... So we have to have also, too, where it's a safe space for people to say, hey, I'm being discriminated against in the workplace. And you need to stand up instead of going, well, that's a that's a $300 table or that's a $600 table. Right. What's a reasonable amount of time? You, you know, you're very, you're very fair to say that it's only been literally a amount of weeks, you know, maybe a couple of months. And you are pragmatic and patient. <laughs> Some people are not, you know, for good reason. I mean, to yeah. get things done, you, you got to do it now. But, you know, if you and I see each other, we come back and talk again on the air. You know, when do you feel like three months, six months, nine months, a year later? When do you sit there and go... Well, went back to where it was, or you see all these changes. I mean, what's a fair period of time, you know, where you should see some movement? I think six to nine months. Okay. I really think six to nine months. I think things are moving. You know, you have a lot of organizations being formed. You have a lot of people are donating funds. That still takes time. We're also still in a pandemic. (laughs) Right, which is hampering things. Which is hampering things. So we also have to, once again, understand timelines, Right. We know that right now we're moving into end of summer, going into fall. What's the biggest thing for fall in the restaurant, in the hospitality industry? It's holiday. We don't even know what the holiday will look like. We don't know what the sales of like wine and spirits and food will be come October, November, December, those bigger months. So we also have to get through those. Right. All the, there are a lot of terrific organizations being started by some terrific people you know some small some you know very Mm -hmm. large some grassroots some seem to be funded well um what what you know there are systemic barriers out there are these the organizations is this the type of setup to address and attack those those barriers well i wouldn't say necessarily attack i would say we're going to actually talk and change it. That's, these organizations are, I mean, think about until what Tahira message, Tahira Habibi saying that they wanted her to call somebody master. Right. No one would have known that. I didn't know that. And I'm friends with her. 
You mean you didn't know that that structure existed where you used that title or yes, what? Yes, I didn't yeah. know that. No, yeah. and, but most people in the wine, a lot of people in the wine industry didn't know that. Right. They knew it was, you know, that was, they could call them a master son, but they didn't know that you had to address them that way. Is that, do you categorize that as a macro or a micro aggression? That's Mac- definitely, that's, <laughs> that's major. A micro, I mean, macro and micro, that's small and big. It's all the, because that's not even aggression. At, to actually tell people they should call someone a master just because you have the title. Right. That, it, it, and then, you know, she having to live with this, she's saying to her, you know, I'm not going to further in this organization. And you, she had to sit with that. So how many people who've come before her who thought the same thing? Yeah, that's... So how many people did we lose? How many good people have we lost because of these organizations, too? So it's just not racial issues in the industry. You know, everybody has had their Me Too moment, not as much as the wine industry has. Eventually, those going to come out as well. We have to just change... We have to change the industry because we want to change the world. Right. How, how do we... That's That's a way of changing... Macro aggression seems so obvious, you know, to to identify and change, you know, like that, you know, the court of the master sommeliers addressing the, you know, the master psalms as masters. The micro stuff is something that, and you could speak to it much better than me because I, I I know for a fact you just experience it way more than me. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we address microaggressions? I mean, these are things that people are doing. They, they don't even realize it. But the way you address a microaggression is when I call it out right. and you are a person who has said it to me, you can't gaslight me like I didn't say what I said. <laughs> because So give me, I, a, give me an example. The, 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 the biggest microaggression most black people feel, all I say it all the time, oh, I didn't know black people drink, like wine. Or I didn't know you people like wine. You know, when someone told me this last year in California in a tasting room, who was a guest, because she, of course, turned around very curious of why this the only black woman in this tasting room is getting all this special treatment. Because how has she, you know, all the wine glasses are there. The staff is one on one. But the staff member, you, I can see him cringe. He so, did not know how to respond to that. So we're talking 2019, last year, mm-hmm. in Napa, California. Yeah. We're not talking any other time or place. No, it's been more than that. But Oh, no, no, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, but I'm just saying, that example, <laughs> you know, that was, hey, that the story wasn't, hey, about 12 years ago when I was getting into the bit. <laughs> that was like, you know, six months ago, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the old story, and it's the same thing. You know, women in wine have, you know, felt issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be that much tougher to be, you know, a black woman. But a woman comes over to her table and, you know, a bunch of old guys go, can you send the sommelier over? I would assume that, you know, the same reaction is if you sent a black woman or a black man over too. Um, that still exists, obviously. Yes, and I've been hearing stories from women you know, with all, the women of all races about things <laughs> that have been said, and I'm just going, wow, okay, yeah. Yeah. It's... And so the, the way you address that, though, but 
if I'm working at a place and I don't feel like I can come forward and say someone's showing me this microaggression, I need you to handle it or I need you to know this happened. If I don't feel I can do that, then that makes me not want to be a better employee. That makes me not want to be a better person in this business because I can go to you and you're not even listening to me. Right. Because it didn't happen to you. (laughs) Right. You said that, you know, there'll be some change because we're more threatened than ever. You know, who's threatened and what's the threat? I don't think they're going to be changed because people are necessarily threatened. I think they realize if I don't make a change and learn how to make my company, my business, my world better, then I'm going to lose green. I'm going to lose money. Now, some people just don't care. And you're right. going to have those too. Right. But guess well, that, what? That's a threat. I don't have to drink, the, I don't have to drink their wine. I agree. I mean, that's a threat to some extent. You know, when you're when you're you know screwing around with a guy's business, his livelihood, you know, and all of that. You know, you're threatening his livelihood. But obviously, but the, the thing of it is, you can have another livelihood, but I can't get another life. So, I understand. You know, when I say threatening somebody's livelihood, that is a lot, right? That is hard. That is something to really think about. But also, if you're okay being openly racist, you're threatening your own livelihood. I'm not. You're doing it. Right. Right. And I don't mean by not speaking up. We have some people in the business who, you know, they say one thing when they see people in public, but then, you know, their Facebook pages are getting screenshot of the racist behavior that they're doing. They're not, I'm not messing up their business. They're messing it up. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a whole nother point you know, how people understand or transmit the message or if they become allies or, you Mm -hmm. know, they're just trying to clear their own conscience. You know, we need people to be more, you know, active in that sense. I mean, many people have spoken up, you know, recently in the last, you know, four or five, six weeks with, you know, very tangible suggestions and Mm -hmm. ideas for change. A couple of weeks ago, I had Miguel de Leon on and he had written three pieces. Yeah. I mean, he really, you know, here is a young guy of color in the industry who's felt a lot of different things and really got to the point. Um, Do you think the industry will continue to have credible voices like that? I mean, I think the door has been open for people to feel comfortable. I think so. I think... You know, the movement, as I like to call it, is not going anywhere. It's going to be reconfigured with time, of course. Right. But the basic of people now feeling like they have a voice, feeling that people want to feel worthy, too. And people want to feel they're being heard. Now they know, hey, when we go back or whatever way, shape or form, we have a voice. We're we're here to be listened to, and we're also here to make this industry what we know it can be. So when people talk about like Dorothy Gator in her article, the gatekeepers. So when the next, you know, explain it, to people what a gatekeeper is in a, in our industry. Okay, you know, wine, gate, hospitality. I would say to me, a gatekeeper is the person who decides who gets in the room, who gets invited to things, whose name is on the list. I think the gatekeeper is just industry wide. So that so, could be PR firms, media PR outlets, firms, media wine outlets, company, it, pretty wine long companies. list. Yeah, so distributors. Consortiums, those. So if right. you're doing 
you know, an industry tasting, like, you know, which you also have to remember tastings are going to look very different. You know, the hygienic part of spitting white wine in a big, you know, room no is going to change. You know, that's going to change. But when, you know, people are offered master classes, right? Who's right. going to be invited now is going to look very different because when people who are allies who are white walk into that room and don't see people of color now, they're going to go, huh, this is interesting. And they may not have never said that before. They may not have ever thought it before. And may but act, I guarantee you they're going to now say what is happening. They're going to act on it. Right. They're going to act on it. Right. That That's an ally or that's speaking up or, you know, that's doing something. Up, exactly. But, you know, I just hope the industry doesn't continue to be so clueless, you know, where after every... We got to give them time. We have Right, right, right. So my belief, I come from that place of a glass half full. I'm going to give them time. Okay. I'm going to give them time and I'm going to give them grace. Now, that's me saying it. I don't know what everybody else is, you know, thinking. But I'm going to... And if they want to talk about it, talk it through... I'm okay with that as well. Let's talk about it. Let's have the uncomfortable conversation that you don't know if you want to have. But if you're willing to have an uncomfortable conversation, not a disrespectful, an uncomfortable where you see how uncomfortable it feels and we can all change this together. Right. What? So let's take who you are. You know, you're a woman, mm-hmm. African-American. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an industry that we discussed a little about, you know, some of its problems. Um, what are your hopes as a black woman in the wine, you know, in the hospitality industry? You know, what's we've talked about timelines. We've talked about you're probably a little more patient <laughs> than most people. But, you know, what what can you imagine for yourself? What do you think will happen the next year or so? I think the way the industry, the way I think from, if we go down media side, I think there'll be a lot of new wine voices coming out now. People feeling they had a voice to speak about wine. I don't necessarily mean it's talking just about race, but they have a palette and they have a voice and they're going to use that. I think we're going to see more, People, you know, working with different, you know, different entities in the wine world. Maybe we're going to see more people of color move into importing. We're going to see more people of color moving into educational roles as they come about slowly working with different, you know, larger consortiums, larger AVAs that spread the word. I do believe within the year is going to vastly look different, but I just have to give it some time. Right. As well. Right. Because I'm also going to reach out to the people who said that they were going to make a change. I'm going to hold them accountable to say, hey, you know, we've noticed that you said some things. How can you, you know, have anything? Do you know, do you need our help to find you a person? If you say you want to provide harvest internships, how can black wine professionals help you find a harvest intern? Well, that that's the reality. The reality yes. is, you know, there has been incredible change, an incredible amount of voices, an incredible amount of activism. You know, everyone has to be held accountable. That's the thing that the pressure has to, you know, maintain and even grow, you know. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. Um, you know, I watched, I think it was right after everything started happening, your first video 
um, and it was incredibly emotional. It was incredibly point, pointed. Um, it touched on a lot of things about what was going on in the industry and what's wrong. But one of the things I noticed, and I probably noticed it a little more just because you know, I got a chance to get to know you, is it was this whole thing's been very emotional to you, but it's also been very physical. I, I, I mean, not only your mind, but your body, <laughs> right? Yes. I, I mean, how, how do you handle all of that? I, I mean, there's a there was a decent amount of crying. <laughs> you, you know that that's how upsetting and how much you know to a head it's come. Um, you it's, know, it's emotional. It's it's I call it you know emotional labor. It is trying. There you know, there are times I just have to turn my phone away, turn it off, turn the computer off, just try to escape into a book go get some fresh air, Right. go do some exercise. Um, you know, when you do activism work, no one ever really thinks about the, the emotional toll, the physical toll it takes on a person's body. Right. And I've learned practices that help me, you know, do this. But then, you know, we're having this conversation right after John Lewis died. And I can think that this man and those people and family members who helped desegregate all these places, how they felt back then with all, all the amenities I have now. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling, right? They, the things that they went through, right? Yeah. And for me to say, okay, I'm here to do this work and here to help people have a better life in the future and, and also do work they're proud of, I have to learn practices to deal with that. For me, that means drinking like a, a lot of bubbly wine and having a book and reading a book. Right. <laughs> Just, that's you your know, getaway. That's my getaway. You know, I, I'm a big fan of reading books, not just like wine books, but just I like murder mystery thrillers. And I do that and I step away from the computer. I literally just leave the phone. You have to. And I know you're a big champagne fan. I mean, I am, too. I mean, that's the greatest <laughs> drink. So that, <laughs> that's a good combo. I'm having bubbly while I'm on the phone with you right now. There you go. Um, Julia, we got to take a quick break. Um, but when we come back, I want to talk to you specifically about black wine professionals because you really are the uh, engine behind that and a bunch of other things. Um, we're talking to Julia Coney. Um, you're listening to The Grape Nation, and we'll be right back. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Julia Coney. Julia, you founded very recently an organization called Black Wine Professionals. Um, I always ask people this, you know, whether it's finding an organization like this, writing a book. When and how did it come about? I mean, 
part of that answer is obvious, but you know, <laughs> what, what's the specifics? Don't explain what it is yet, but just tell me when you know you decided this had to happen, or if it was an idea, you know, and how did it come about? So it came about the night after I did that Instagram live. I was so drained, right. like emotionally and physically, and I kind of laid on my floor and just cried for like some minutes to get it all out. And I tried to go to sleep. I tried to do the normal, like go to sleep, you know, take a bath, read a book, go to sleep, and I couldn't sleep. And I kept thinking, what can I do? That's really where it came from. What can I do? So I woke up like four in the morning. I eventually fell asleep and it still was on my mind. What am I going to do? If I want to change the industry, what do I do? Who do, who am I trying to help? And so the idea said, came to me was, okay, create a listserv of these amazing black wine professionals that you know, who a lot of times don't get access. They don't get asked for things. You have to create this. And I get on my computer. I realize the domain name is available. An email is available. The Instagram is available. And I literally start working on it the next day. Jesus. So it wasn't thought about four months ago. It literally happened in the six weeks and I wrote out what do I want to do how do I help people get the next level of education we all know those books cost money those classes cost money and these people want those things so I was like I'm gonna find an organization ask for donations and I want to help people take classes I want to promote these professionals if I hear about a job who can I send it to that's how that came about and then my friend of mine Tammy who does strategy and advising she when I said I called her. I was like, I need help. And she was like, what do you need me to do? That's really how that came about. It was not super thought out. Like, well, no, no. I mean, you were you were almost driven. Yes. Your mind was in a certain place mm-hmm. as far as what was going on. And then when we talked about the emotional and physical part, you needed, I wouldn't use the word escape, but you needed to put your mind to something mm-hmm. that I guess in your mind was constructive and what you can do. And that would sort of get you, you know, on the even better path forward, right? Yes. So, I, I mean, it all happened pretty quickly. <laughs> Very quickly. That's why I but, say it's been six weeks, so but I think here, seven weeks tomorrow. So it's like, yeah. Here's a, here's a semi-unfair question, okay? Go ahead. The idea is it's near perfect, if not perfect. I mean, the whole idea of what it is. Why, why, why not sooner? I mean, this would have been great. You know, do we need things in the world to sort of gel to get you to think that way? I'm going to tell you why not sooner. You saw my travel schedule. I wouldn't have been home. Right. To think, right? I was the person that the world needed to get quiet for me. I hate that it had to happen because some a man was killed right. in the middle of the street. But I, that was the only way that had to, unfortunately, that circumstance had to cause this because I was traveling so much. I was gone literally two and a half to almost three weeks a month. Right. Now, you've always been active and activist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I could point out articles, you know, you've written and discussions you've had, you know, years and years back. Um, but like you said, I guess the world has to come to a certain point where you really, you know, sit down and, and, and formulate all this. Um, 
you may have touched on some points, but the mission statement of black wine professionals is really is what? The mission statement is I don't want another person to tell me they don't know any black wine professionals to hire for a job. That's the oldest excuse in the world. I would, but I where 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 do I go? Where do I Who go? Where do I go? you know? There's it's the always there them that you know. There's not that many. You know, it's yes. bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah, and it means like I've done the work, and I'm continually adding people, and you you know this way you don't have to do your Google search. You literally go to one website, and we divided it up: media, sommeliers, educators, marketing, sales. We're going to have a job board on there. So people can post their jobs for looking for people because it goes back to things like just say a harvest intern. How does a person who wants to work a harvest intern know that there's an intern spot available? Right. (laughs) That's it. This is, you know, a spot to list all of that. Um, I want to cover cover a bunch of things. The first thing is, how do you get people to get to you with that information? So we have an application process and on the site, and so a form that people fill out. And what we do with this, we put them based on where they fit into the listserv, right? right? If you're a wine buyer, wine director, you're there. And one of the things that is most important is you have to, if you're certified, if you have a certification and you haven't been working in the business long, you have to have skin in the game. Because we're not looking, and that's one of the reasons it's about professionals. I didn't put influencers. I am not an influencer person for that. There are people that do that. It is for people who are actually actively working in wine. So if you're, and also the requirements, if you're a podcaster, you have to have a podcast that has current content. Right. So I can say, hey, you've been podcasting. This is a person, if if there's a podcasting conference that's going on eventually. Hey, you guys, there's a podcast conference. You might go there and learn some tips. One of the things we also want to do is help people with um, funding in different areas. So uh, certifications, one of the things with scholarships, you have to already have been certified because we all know that if you don't have skin in the game at the beginning, it's really hard, right? Right. But if you're a CMS certified, but you're trying to get to advance or maybe you got accepted, we're gonna we're gonna try to help you with that. Right. W set two going to W set three. There's a big leap in education, but there's also a big leap in cost. Right. So, you're a resource for that. We're a resource. We're trying to re- like that's one of the reasons I want to do. I want to be able to say I have I can supply ten to fifteen W set scholarships, ten to fifteen CMS, CSW. Because one of the things I tell people. If you have been in the industry long enough and you don't have those, that are that's fine. But you have a lot of people with career changes like myself who had to pay those fees, right? right, right. And they keep adding up. Books add up. And also, let's be honest, wine adds up. How do you get the taste of wine? <laughs> well, that, that that's always been a big issue. You know, that's yes. been pushed aside because I, I wouldn't use the word elite. But, you know, the people that always did that didn't have to worry about getting groups together. Mm-hmm. The money for wine, the eight, ten years of time and the cost for the certification, you know, it's a big step. Mm-hmm. But also we know it also means people like when they go to get, you know, jobs they, or they go to present classes. They may want to present workshops like you may, you know, people who love France, right? And they want to become a French wine scholar. How can I help them become a French wine scholar? That's what they love to drink. 
Right. But then, yes, we can pay for the course, but we also have to help you get wine. Right. So I think three important things you need to address is if you are a resource, I think we discussed how you get to black wine professionals. If mm -hmm. you need the resource, um, you explained a little, you know, we're not talking about green people. You know, we're talking about people who have a little skin in the game. Mm -hmm. um, you go to the website, right? You go to the website and apply, and we'll be announcing scholarships and webinars and seminars in September. And we'll that's... That's people seeking the resources and people that have the resources, right? Exactly. Both sides? Both. Yes, both. Like, if you're a black wine professional, we're going to, like, one of the seminars I want to do is on Willamette Valley. Right. Um, hire, you know, getting the person who knows someone to teach that course. Because if you live, like, East Coast like we do, we only get so much of the Willamette Valley. We don't get what a lot of people get on the West Coast. No. So, but going through all those different AVAs and really speaking to that just as the learning, because also we have to admit, we don't know where we're going to be in September. So that's why everything's going to be virtual. So then if you're a part of Black Wine Professionals, if you miss it for whatever reason, you'll get a link to watch it. So it'll be, they'll, they'll be, everything will be sort of archived and all mm -hmm. that, which is great. Yeah. Um, I said three things. Where can the resource go? Where can the person who needs resource? More importantly, if people are listening and they go, this is a great idea. You know, I'm not looking for a resource. I can't offer one, but I can offer financial support. How do people, um, you will take donations, right? Yes, it's a donation button on the main page. It's a donation button on the about page. And I respond to everybody, you know, who's like donating, like, and... I always say no donation is too small. And I think sometimes people feel like donations always have to be big. Right. They don't. Right. You know, it, it's, it's, we've had donations from hundreds of dollars to $5 and they're the same beautiful donation because that go, that's going to go. So to someone to, you know, I'm working with someone who is one of the, they wanted, they applied to do a harvest and they reached out and they, you know, they're going to have to get to California. Those donations are going to help them get to California. Right. They're going to also help them stay in California. So people, we need donations. We need go, donations. Go to Black Wine Professionals and spend some time on the site to understand who the people yes. are, what they're doing. And like I said, if you're a resource, you know, get in there. If you're looking for it, get in there. And if you want to donate, you know, get in there too. Um, what's the, is it blackwineprofessionals.com? Yes. That's it. That's yeah. all you need to know. All right. A uh, couple things. I do a thing called the wine list where okay. I ask all my guests five questions about what they're drinking. <laughs> There's no way I would let you get off the show without me asking you, you know, my wine list. But take a minute or two. I just want to ask you about two more things. Oh, yeah. I think I think the tariff thing is back in the news. It is. And, and I'm about and, to post about that tomorrow. You know, and, you know, you've <sighs> been very close to retail and, you know, travel and all of that. Um What's your feeling? What's your gut? I'm scared. I'm scared. You know, just when you think you get a reprieve from one thing, you get like slammed in another. I'm actually going to go, you know, write a blog post about it. I'm going to do an Instagram live about the tariffs. I'm going to link on everything I have about people putting comments again because the comments are. Are open you going to? 
are you going to link resources where people can, you know, write to congressmen or whatever yeah, stuff like comment, that? Okay. You know, the comments are open on the U.S. trade uh, website again. Right. Um, and so I'm going to link to all those in my bio on my Instagram. I'm going to put it in like Twitter today. I'm going to actually put it also on the black wine professionals information thing right. because we need more comments to say why the tariffs are hurting. I mean, it's hurting a lot of people already. And it's, it's sad to watch. So right. we have to remember that that fight isn't over as well. Right. Do you think in light of everything we talked about, you know, activism where people have to be allies and things have to change, you throw tariffs on top of that, it's going to make everything twice as hard. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, too. Like, I'm actually emailing like all the black wine professionals and telling them they have to vote as well. So it's not like we just we need right. to talk about this business and we need to talk about this stuff is still going on. Right. Because um, I think voting is closed. It's like August 6th or 8th or something. So we have to really get the comments in now. If people want to, like you just mentioned, you're going to be writing a blog on this. If yeah. people want to, if they didn't know or don't know where to follow you, where do they go to follow? I, I know the answer, but I want you to tell me. I am like, at Julia Coney on Twitter, Instagram, and my website is juliacony.com. I'm pretty com. easy to find, yeah. J-U-L-I-A-C-O-N-E-Y.com, yes. just so everybody knows. Yes. All right, last thing, and then we do the wine list. Um, I mentioned earlier that a big part of what you do is travel. Mm -hmm. um, and before I ask you the question, um, I just want to link myself to Julia a little. Julia and I were invited almost this time last year to Uruguay, which certainly is an interesting wine country on one of the trips um, to taste and tour the country, meet the people and their wines. And I think we both agree it was an interesting trip. Mm -hmm. What What's funny, Julia, was, was an old Jewish guy, a black woman, <laughs> two gay guys, a Latino. I mean, <laughs> did pretty good, right? It was a great hodgepodge. It was that, a that was hodgepodge. a good hodgepodge. It was a great hodgepodge. And one of the, you know, one of the reasons I love, you know, sitting, you know, on this podcast is talking and talking to you is because I had that opportunity. I told Miguel, you know, that I knew you intimately, not the way you would think, but we were in a hotel together for six, seven days. Day, we, had, yeah. we had every meal together. We were in cars touring the country. You really get to know somebody, you know, quickly. And, you know, I'm just so happy, um, you know, that we had that opportunity. Um, and, and that's sort of the setup. So the question is, you, you won't know the answer to this, but it's what do you think? When do you think you'll be able to hit the road and travel again? You know... Part of me was hoping I could go to Champagne for Harvest this year. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, if you know somebody <laughs> specific, maybe. Not jumping around, but maybe go somewhere for a week to, you know, one place. Yeah, but, but I, you know, I'm trying to lean, literally lean in and just embrace this time of being home. I'm getting home projects done because right. I was not home. I'm enjoying my husband because I was not home. <laughs> so you time. do you think you're home till the end of the year at least oh i'm not i guarantee you i probably won't be able to go anywhere until 2021 right so that champagne thing is just a dream i it's just I, a dream. I, I i agree with you and there's <laughs> as anxious as we are there's no reason you know to push it for your own health and, your and for own everybody sanity. else's health right you know <laughs> 
Um, all right. So, Julie, we have a thing called the wine list. It's five yes. questions. We ask all our guests the same five questions. I have interviewed upward of a couple hundred people, and they've all answered the question. I post them on social media because people are very curious to hear what our guests and wine professionals like you um, drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be posted. All right, so here's the wine list, five questions. First question is, what are you drinking now? Immediately right now, I'm Well, drinking... seasonal, what's in the fridge, you know, oh, what are well, you um, I'm drinking Ravintos y Blanc. That they is, are explain a, what that is. That is a Spanish sparkling wine. They're uh, trying to get a DO. They broke away from the Cava DO. So I am currently drinking their rosé. So that's a whole different story, and I may even do a show on it. Uh, Cava and Spanish sparkling wine is a great value, and there's some good stuff. There's a bunch of guys that said, screw the organization, Mm -hmm. we're going to do our own and, you know, do it under our own regulations and stuff. And Reventos was one of them, right? Yes. And I am drinking the Rosé is Phenomenal. It's made with uh, Zarello, Macebeo, Parada, I'm saying that wrong, and uh, (laughs) Monstrel. Very nice. All right. Anything else? I am always drinking a bottle of Champagne Lallier Brut Rosé, which is my house champagne. Wait, the maker is Lallier? Yes. Spell for me. L-A-L-L-I-E-R. Okay. That is my house champagne. And is it a value champagne? It's not too crazy in price? It is 50 bucks. Perfect. All right, so that's good. Doing good so far. (laughs) Julia Coney's favorite wine and food pairing. Not something you necessarily eat every night, you know, but something that resonates with you. Um, Brut Nature Champagne and uh, Crawfish Etouffee or just boiled crawfish. Okay, so I'm going to tell you that of the 200, nobody's ever given that answer. Which is, <laughs> which is what I love, okay? Crawfish all day. I'm from the South. I, I love know, crawfish. I know, I know, I know. But it's sort of like, it's, it, it's sort of like your version of oysters and champagne. Exactly, right? yes. That's a good one. All right, so this one, I got to figure out how we get you to answer. The question is your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. So I would think, because you know D.C. at this point as well mm-hmm. as anyone, that it would focus on D.C. But maybe in your travels, if you went into a place where the wine list was so great, the environment was so good, the people were so nice and knowledgeable, you know, that type of thing. Well, give me some favorite wine restaurant and or bars. Okay, in D.C., wine bar is Maxwell Park. Um, the 9th Street Shaw location, which is like my favorite by Brent Kroll. I just, I just go in and it feels like family. If I'm nice. in Houston, Sonoma off Richmond Avenue, that's kind of like where I hang out is one of those places. I just love Sonoma. Actually, June Baby in Seattle, Washington. Yeah, I've been hearing things oh, about Oh, my it. God. Just so, so, so much fun. Air Champagne Parlor in New York. Ariel, yep. Yes, yeah. That Champagne Parlor is just so much very, fun, very, right? She just reopened, you know, with a deck outside in New York With City, a deck outside. And, of yeah. course, if I'm in Paris, I'm, like, always, it's two places I'm always going to go. Juveniles. Right. And then the local spot is bread and roses. I get the hamburger with whatever Bordeaux they're pouring on the list. 
That's the way to do it. Leave it to them. Leave I, it to them. Yeah, and they, they all, I'm like, I get a, that's mainly the thing I get from this, uh, from Bread and Roses is this hamburger. But juveniles, I just tell them to pour me something. Good ones. All right, fourth question. Favorite all-time wine? You know, I'm, I'm very redundant when I do the uh, wine list because I have to explain it to my guests. When I structured the question, it was like, <laughs> what was the most expensive, rare wine you ever had? Then I realized that's a little stupid and elitist. So it kind of morphed into what it should have been. What is a wine that is important to you, that, you know, made an impression, you know, that changed the way you're thinking, that you still look back? You know, you know the wine, the vintage. Can you think of a favorite all-time wine under those descriptors? I'm going to describe the one that I that really made me change, look at wine differently. 1996 Camus from Napa Valley and uh, Claude Duval. It was paired with Texas brisket. Those are good wines for Texas. The Camus is very... Was it the it regular was the, or the special selection? It was the regular and it was 1998. Which wasn't a great year in Napa, but it doesn't No, matter. but no, the year I had it was 98, it was 96. Oh, 96. Yeah, was a very 96. Good year. Yes, and the very Col Duval Cabernet? Yes, they were both Cabernets. The Col Duval went with the ribs and he paired the uh, cables with the brisket sandwich. And I was like, what is happening in my mouth? Because that was a divine pairing. So before I ask you the next question, um, let me ask you this. Um, I am, I enjoy and admire. Napa and California wines. Mm -hmm. I've kind of moved away from it. You know, I like Beaujolais now and mm -hmm. Italian wines and the Loire and you know, they're all about Barolo, Barbaresco. But I did sort of cut my teeth, you know, in the late eighties and nineties mm -hmm. on Napa. Was that the same with you? I mean, it was, was the that, same with me. That, that was just, the door into finer wines and big stuff. That was the door into finer stuff. wines. Yeah. Like, that's, that's why, to me, when people ask me, I say that. It is not because, like, of course, I, you know, I'm drinking different wines like you from all over. But that's the one that got me where I am today. Had I not had that pairing, I don't know. Because I come from a family. My family doesn't drink. Right. Which is interesting. Because <laughs> um, there's, like old Italian families that always had wine and they don't consider mm -hmm. that drinking. It's like exactly. culture and all of that. Um, have you stayed as enthusiastic about that and moved on to other things or moved on? I have not completely moved on, but the thing of it is they're doing some fun stuff in California. I think what uh, Carboniste, the women from Car the husband and wife from Carbonese are making a sparkling Albarino. Spell I spell that. C A R B O N I S T E. Carbonese. Carbonese. Okay, I'm gonna. Post I think that. yes. I think what they're doing is very interesting. I think if you think about Michael Cruz, Lioko, I yep. think when we think about California, we just kind of go, "Oh my God, it's crazy, right?" And I don't want that big wine, but if you also think of Lodi, you have Aquies wines. She's doing Pickpool Blanc in a land of Zinfandel. Yep. She's doing I, all whites. Very, so very, I, very well said. I think you, you have to understand California and also go, there's so much of California. Beyond, you know, Beyond that, what that to. If you think 29 about Napa Trail. You know. Yeah, if you think about what Mendocino, and you could even think of somebody who has been around like Bonterra, what they've been doing for years. Aren't they, all, aren't they an organic producer? Yes, and they are Mendocino. But forever, yeah. Forever. So yeah. I think is what we have, you know, which is fine. 
right? Yep. We can have those bigger wines, but we can also say what other people are doing in the space of California. Like for me, I love sparkling products. I always have them hand Jay Vineyards. I think for the value and the price, it works. What's the name of it? Jay Vineyards and Wine. Oh, Jay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah, great so, stuff. but you have interest in like new people with Carbon East. But I right. love like, it's kind of like, what what are the wives I think a lot of people like is Literai. They're out of California. Well, he's a legendary winemaker. But Ted it's still, Lemon. I know, but it's still, right? Still yeah. California, because people just No, love- no, 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 I think you made the point. <laughs> and you ended with the point, you know, that a Literai, which has been there forever, is just always has been a good example of what California should and could be. And you mentioned a lot of new guys. All right, we have a couple of minutes left. This one, last fifth question, I think you would do well at. I need you to recommend the best wine around 15, 20, 22 bucks retail. I need you to recommend a red and a white. You could be specific, you could do a region like Muscadet, Beaujolais, whatever. Um, I always say my kids, they're in their 20s. They can't show up with a crappy bottle of supermarket wine for nine, 11 bucks. <laughs> they certainly can't afford, you know, 40. So how do I wow with 20? Give me a red and a white. Okay, so the white, I'm going to say Picpoul de Pinay. Okay. Get a white from Picpoul, get a, get a white. You're, you're, you're going to have a good old time or a Shannon Blanc. Okay, I agree on both of those heavily. Give me a red. My red, I would actually say because... Go with a Barbera. Okay. Like the Alba or the Asti? Uh, Can- Cantina Del Pino. Okay. That's but the Barbera. maker, right? That's the maker. Retail is 20, to, 20 bucks. Man, you hit that one right on the uh, head. All right, <laughs> Julia, we're running. We, an hour went by quicker than both of us thought. Wow. I got to wrap up. Let me do a quick wrap up. I want to get some info, info from you. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Subscribe to The Grape Nation wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation, on Instagram at sbenruby, on Twitter at benruby. I know it's confusing, but pay attention. Use the hashtag always, the Grape Nation on both. Um, like I said, we will post Julia's wine list on our social media sites, uh, probably starting in the next few days. The wine list will be on Monday. Um, Julia, let's go over it one more time. If people want to find out more about you and Black Wine Professionals, juliaconi.com and blackwineprofessionals.com? Yes. Okay, and if they want to follow you on social, um, same thing, right? You're at Julia Coney on Twitter and Instagram, I think, and Black Wine Professionals is an Instagram account, too. Yes. All right, so that's the info. I want to thank our guest, Julia Coney. Julia, thank you for taking time. I want to thank our engineer, Amanda, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ruby, and you've been listening to The Great Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.